I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of All Things Policy. I'm your host Anupam Manur, and with me I have the erudite. expert on public finance mr sarthak pradhan and um, sarthak is going to inform us enlighten us about um, the budget that has just been passed yesterday um, we all heard the budget speech uh, by the finance minister nirmala sitaraman and where most of us would have just stopped at that looked at the headline sarthak would dive deep into it look at every number every comma every decimal point to see if it's all right so lots of pressure on sarthak um to um to really dig deep and give us a lot of information and insight from the budget sarthak welcome no pressure yeah thanks anupam in fact i also didn't know all most of these things that you uh, in that you explained about to me right now yeah but <laughs> anyway <laughs> thank you for having me here yeah so let's let's just get started um, we'll have a dialogue about yeah just the budget and um, since the budget is an interim budget this podcast is also going to be an interim podcast as in um, we're just going to be looking at some big highlights from the budget um let me start with my you know one of the things that i normally say which is uh, a boring budget is a good budget okay and yesterday's budget was an extremely boring tepid affair didn't have a lot of hoo ha's in it um, it was just you know quite simple a, probably one of the shortest speeches by nirmala sitaraman if you remember she broke all kinds of records in the you know 2019 20 and so on um, there was some analysis also this was 25% of the budget speech in 2019 uh, i think or something of that sort so in that sense um, it was an easy to follow quick simple budget no big uh, you know uh, ground breaking earth shattering kind of announcements right so um to begin with and and that is in itself according to me a good thing because the elections are obviously coming up in india 2024 the general elections are coming up and the temptation to have gone overboard um the temptation to announce something big the temptation to announce you know populist measures um uh, would always have been there but yet i think they showed a little bit of restraint in that um and um, that itself is good news what do you say Yeah, no, but I completely agree with you on this. That uh, yeah, there were not many. In fact, there was no major announcement. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was just kind of business as usual. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you on this completely. Yeah. So part of that, and I, I think this is interesting, is that I think a part of that is that they're absolutely confident of returning. As in, if if. Uh, both of us can get out of our comfort zones uh, being economists and talk about the politics for a while for me this displays that they are absolutely confident that they'll come back therefore this is a uh, interim budget they don't really have to do any they don't they didn't feel the need to do any of those big populist announcements they think they'll they'll swing by easily with all the other things they've done or not done or 
whatever it is that they think uh, is working in the political realm, right? But one particular statement stood out, and I want to put it out. Um, Nirmala Sitraman said that um, and this is the interim budget, and we will present the detailed budget in July when we are back in power. I, I, there's no if. There was no when it was a statement saying we will come back and this is what we'll do. Yeah, it shows the confidence. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, Sartak, tell me, what was your big takeaways from the budget? A uh, couple of things. Uh, first is the government has been prioritizing on capital expenditure. And uh, it's not that uh, this is the this is the only time they have prioritized. In fact, for the last few years, they have been doing that. Uh, the effective capital expenditure uh, has been on the rise. Uh, so the budget budgetary allocation for the upcoming fiscal has been more than the previous uh, last year's uh, allocation and it, which was again uh, ma- which was a massive jump from last to last year's uh, capital expenditure spend right so this is what they are prioritizing now uh, there is a reason i mean why you should prioritize on capital expenditure or government should prioritize on capital expenditure. The returns are quite high, but you might not get immediate returns, but the multiplier effect uh, is definitely more. So this is what this is one thing. Apart from right. that... Uh, Let, yeah. let's, let's dig a little bit deep into that, right? Let's, let's actually just unpack it. So first, infrastructure development. Um, I mean, if you go by the numbers, and I, I want you to actually, you know, cast... Uh, aspersions, oh no, if not that, at least, um, um, you know, question this, right? So first, the announcement by Nirmala was that the outlay increased by 11.1%. I, I think this was done just so you get nice numbers because now the outlay is supposed to be 11 lakhs, 11,111 crore rupees, right? Um, this amounts about 3.4% of GDP. So um, in you know, complete amateurs like me would say this is a big increase. But you're saying that it's already been an increase and this year it's not so much, but the real big increase came in 2022. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you look at the capital expenditure as the share of uh, total expenditure, right? In 22-23, it was around 25%. Last year, it was 30%, right? So 5% jump. And uh, this year, I mean, the upcoming fiscal, uh, I mean, the last, yesterday's budget, right? It is around 31.4%, right? So as compared to previous year, only 1% increase. But uh, last year saw a massive jump, like 25% to 30.4%. Ah, okay, so that, that's really the figure to kind of um, keep in mind that it is a jump, it is good, but it's not really as much as it was last year, right? Yeah. So that's one part of it. The but another yeah. one thing I wanted to know, point out here is, I mean, uh, yeah, even if it is 31.4% and last year it was 30.4% of the total expenditure, right? Uh, you might not be eventually uh, spending that much on capital because the revised estimates are slightly lower, right? And 30.4% was what was expected as per the, uh, the announcements last year, but you spent around 20 point, 28.3%. So maybe 2%, 3% here and there will be there, but still it is uh, massive. Right. Uh, Satak, I know you did another episode on the budget quite recently and you would have gone through how do you read a budget and, and so on. But um, for anybody who's not listened to that, can you just give me a quick 
uh, lowdown on on what this is. What is the outlay? What is the announcement that is made? Uh, and then what is the actual revised estimate? What does that tell us? Yeah. So when the budget is presented, uh, you get you get to hear some numbers, right? For this sector, we are we are going to spend this much amount of money in the up, up, upcoming fiscal. For the scheme, we are going to spend this much amount of money. This ministry is going to get this much money. So those announcements are there. These are all outlays. These are the there's the money that is going to be spent, but this money eventually what it is supposed to do, right? Uh, what are you going to achieve with that money? Uh, for instance, let's say you are if the outlay for uh, Swachh Bharat Abhiyan is let's say five thousand crores. I'm just uh, use, I mean it, I'm I, I don't think this is the exact number, but let's assume that five thousand numbers out of the hat. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, five thousand five thousand crores is the outlay for Swachh Bharat Abhiyan. The output for that will be. X number of toilets will be constructed or Y number of uh, community sanitary complexes will be constructed. And outcome can be a village can become open defecation free. Those kind of things can be there. So uh, at this point of, I mean, this is the difference between outlay, outcome and output. So what I'm saying is the outlay hasn't, uh, I mean, hasn't changed massively in this uh, in this year as compared to last year the major change was last to last year and when it comes to the output outcomes we don't know much because this time for some reason the output outcome framework which is usually uh, released along with the budget is not there I, I don't know what is the reason for this i also went to the niti ayog's uh, dm dmeo website uh, they also have a section on it for the upcoming fiscal they don't have it right so let's okay uh, i think at least a couple of things to unpack there one um quick question was the uh, the output outcome framework was that done in the previous interim budget let's say 2019 or is it uh, generally a factor of because it's an interim budget that was not done yeah i'm not sure i mean i'm i've not looked at the previous interim budget but let's say even if you are uh, even if you are even if it's a bu- interim budget then also you are having the allocation the outlays i mean you are mentioning the outlays for the entire year right you are not mentioning it for the next two months or four months that's not the case and whenever you are having an outlay it should be on some scientific logical basis like if i'm spe- if i'm saying on a uh, that on a particular scheme uh, x amount of money will be spent then what is the how do you break it down further right what all will be done with that x amount of money how did you arrive at that figure right so output outcome should be identified or else you cannot even arrive at that number Correct. what do you expect from that number i mean yeah. it's not just money giving out for charity but you're expecting very concrete uh both output and outcomes from it and therefore you have to mention it while you're allocating money i, yeah. I take that point so now come back to the revised estimate bit um so you're saying that uh, let's stick to your example you're saying okay so um the outlay will, could be something like 5000 crores for swachh bharat abhiyan and uh, a year later when the next budget is uh, presented they also present something called a revised estimate so yeah, that tells yeah. you how much of that 5000 crores was actually spent is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, or not actually. Next, the revised estimates uh, will not give you the exact number because the revised estimates are also on the basis of the data that you have got for the first uh, six months or so of the year, right? So, uh, at right at this point of time, you have an estimate. It's not a actual number. You get the actual number for the previous to last to last year. Right. So. This budget will have the actual number for 22-23, will have the revised estimates for 23-24. Right. Yeah. 
So again, right. revised estimates are also not uh, the exact number. It will also, I mean, next year budget, you'll get the uh, actual expenditure for 23-24. Right. So in next year's budget, we'll, act- we'll, huh. we'll come to know how much of that 5,000 crores was actually spent. Right? spent. And you're saying in many of these cases, the outlay is um, these big grand announcements that's done during budget doesn't really translate. I mean, many times, not all of that amount is actually dispersed or even if it is dispersed, not all of that amount is actually used. Used, exactly. So I'll give you an example. Uh, in fact, the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan, right? So Swachh Bharat Abhiyan, you have Grameen as well as Urban. Uh, when it comes to the Grameen one, for some reason, there is consistency, right? I mean, uh, whatever is the uh, last year's outlay, uh, the revised estimates, they are more or less same. And this year's allocation is also more or less same. There is consistency. But when it comes to Swachh Bharat Abhiyan, uh, the allocation was, I think, around 5,000 crores, but the revised estimate is around 2,500 crores. Almost like 50% drop. And I don't know what is the reason for this drop, right? And I don't think our cities have become so clean uh, <laughs> and that that had we, uh, I mean, that uh, the ministry was not, uh, I mean, it did not uh, need anything to do. I mean, it, it, it basically had to uh, not do much. So <laughs> I don't know. Right. Okay, okay. So that, that happens across the board, you see, right? Um, in many, many departments, uh, yeah. it's an announcement, but not all of that is used up. So that's not so all cool. of the all of that is used. But then this 50% drop is quite huge, right? Maybe if there is a 20%, not 10, 20%, around 10%, 5% variation, I mean, it's still, I think, under that window, which is considered acceptable, right? But for some ministries, some departments, uh, this uh, number is quite, this uh, is quite high. And other instances that of uh, housing, there were some big announcements made that we are going to spend some uh, 80,000 crore on housing and all those things, right? And in Interestingly, last year the allocation was also seventy nine thousand crores. I don't know why uh, the media has picked it up and they are saying oh eighty thousand crores, eighty thousand crores. But last year's budgetary allocation was also seventy nine thousand crores, right? So there was not. If you look at the percentage, there is no. There's not much of a difference, right? And on top of that, uh, it is like important to note that last time. Uh, 79,000 was the budgetary allocation, but the revised estimates were at 32% lower. Oh, right. Yeah, some some 56 or something like that, 56,000 crores. So 32% dip, that means you're not able to spend money. Uh, And why you are not able to spend money? You don't know that. Maybe you could not implement it. You would not contract out things. Yeah. So the the output uh, this and this will really, really irritate um, the people in government. But maybe it's policy paralysis. <laughs> yeah, that can be. That can be right. Yeah, which is something that we keep blaming the you know previous government for. Okay, um, th- that's all interesting. And I mean, uh, just because you mentioned housing, I think there was one scheme here which also spoke about housing for all in in some form or the other uh, with the eighty thousand crores allocation. Which again, I think round numbers help. Hmm. If you want to get attention of the media, give round numbers. Don't give, you know, 79,000 crores and so on. Maybe that's part of it. Um, But let's, uh, a little bit more seriously, I I think they were trying to do some version of this American dream, right? So they're saying people are living in rented houses, people are living in slums, etc. We will give you the money to build your own homes, right? So now home ownership, I think the shift has become to home ownership. Um, so it's not just construction of houses, but they're saying, okay, you know, you go and own your own home. Um, then I, I don't know if that will actually translate into policies, etc. But I think that in, in terms of messaging, at least that was part of it. Right. So 
I want to head back to uh, and talk about CapEx. But before we do that, let's just take a quick break and then we'll discuss um, a little bit more about infrastructure. We'll talk about um, about fiscal deficit and a whole bunch of other things. So just hold on. We'll return after the break. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. folks welcome back um we were just speaking about the american dream or now the reimagined indian dream of uh, home ownership but um i want to move on uh, or rather move back to uh, talking about uh, capital expenditure and uh, sartak was just about you know i interrupted him earlier but we were talking we were about to go into this idea of why capex is important and why government spending on capex is also important so we again set this in context Uh, I think many of you would already be familiar, so we don't have to belabor this point, but um, governments can either take capital expenditure or revenue expenditure. Revenue expenditure, for all practical purposes, um, the amount of money that they have to spend in order to just keep the government running or in order to you know repay interest on loans, etc. that they've taken. Uh, basically, that means to say that nothing useful will come out of it in the sense that you are not creating assets. Okay, um, We are not creating assets. Whereas in capital expenditure, we are creating assets. So, Sartak, why is capital expenditure so much important? Why do we always look at that number? Um, what is the return to society on capital expenditure? So, capital expenditure as opposed to revenue, revenue expenditure is basically that recurring expenditure, right? The money that you uh, spend on salaries, wages, interest payments, all those things. Well, capital expenditure is the money that you spend on uh, building assets, for instance. And you might not get immediate returns on the, all these things, but you get higher returns, maybe at a later point of time. The, and the, there is a technical term for this multiplier effect. For instance, if you are... Uh, building infrastructure like right? capital expenditure uh, you're building roads railways uh, all these things will give you higher returns it will be in the range of maybe three to four percent uh, three to four times right if you're spending one rupee you the returns will be three to four and you can yeah, just, just can yeah. i can i just intervene here very yeah, quickly sure. for uh, this thing so when we say returns on let's say railways it's not really just in terms of ticket collection <laughs> what is the returns right it just means that that Building a new, let's say, uh, laying down a new railway line to um, hitherto unserviced area uh, will increase economic activity by that much more. So that's what we mean by return. So now that just the fact that a railway line has opened up or a new road has opened up, it just means that economic activity will increase by that much. And that's the return to society that we're talking about. Not really um, in the strict sense of returns in terms of, you know, toll collections or uh, tickets sold. Just to make that clear. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. I mean, just you can think of uh, let's, a Delhi metro, right? Uh, how the metro connectivity would have connected parts of Haryana to parts of UP and how people can seamlessly move from one place to another. And all these things would have helped in uh, economic activity. And just you can think of freight corridors, you can th- think of highways, how they help in this, right? So yeah, I mean, this is what, uh, that is the reason why you need to focus on capital expenditure. So you're looking forward to the future. So let can we try and put some numbers into this? Um, one, let's start with our one of our favorite concepts, which is the marginal cost of public funds. So we're saying that every rupee that the government spends, the cost to society of that is three rupees. 
um, for anyone who's interested to know more about this and why and so on, please read uh, In Service of the Republic by Ajay Shah and uh, Vijay Kelkar, who goes on to this in, in detail as to why that is the case, right? But for now, just kind of take this at face value, which is uh, one rupee that the government spent actually costs society three rupees. Okay, so that is one number you have to keep in mind. The other number that you have to keep in mind is what do we get from that one rupee? Now, revenue expenditure by, let's say, by the union government actually gives you just about 40 paisa back in return. Uh, by the revenue expenditure by state governments gives you a little bit more. Uh, but the highest return is capital expenditure by the union government. Capital expenditure by the union government actually gives you back something like four rupees in return. So the cost of society is three rupees. Um, the return to society is about four rupees. Um, the net kind of return is positive and it's about one rupee. And that's the only kind of expenditure by the union government, which gives you a positive return. Every other kind of expenditure will give you a negative return. Now, it it doesn't mean that we can do away with all other expenditure. You still have to spend on, you know, interest payments. You still have to spend on uh, running the government on salaries and so on. But that we have to try and minimize those things or rationalize, not even minimize, but maybe rationalize it. Uh, only spend on things that are completely required, whereas you're now, you know, capital expenditure is the things that will give you maximum return. So that's one idea that if the government has to spend, let it spend on capital expenditure. So that's, that's part of it. And I think we, uh, as Sarthak mentioned, we have been increasing capital expenditure and even in this budget, it kind of um, sticks to that Sartak, let's move on from capital expenditure um, to many of the other things, right? I'm, I've made a few uh, random notes that maybe we can, um, you know, that I want to talk about. You can jump in whenever you want. One is, you know, is the standard. Uh, for me, the interim budget was largely, um, when I say it was a tepid affair, etc., um, a large part of the interim budget was just about, um, you know, a report card. They, they, it was basically a lot of self-praise. It was a lot of, you know, we've done this. We've, um, uh, Indian economy and Indian society is now, uh, you know, it's, it's completely uh, at a better place because we are there and, you know, we've done this, we've done that, we've done this. And a lot of basically talking about their own achievements, which, I mean, maybe it's okay. I, I, it felt more like a press release rather than a budget uh, speech, but I, I'm willing to kind of, you know, forgive all of those bits. What were the interesting kind of announcements though? Um, one, we spoke about the housing bit, but I think there was, you know, the a uh, lot of sloganeering as well, right? Now we had, I don't know, back in uh, the 60s and 70s, we had uh, Jai Jawan and Jai Kisan. Now we have two more added to that list, Jai Vigyan <laughs> and Jai Anadatta and now Jai something else. What is Anusandan? I don't even know what that means, but... Um, I think it is research, if I'm not wrong. Research, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so which I, I want to just speak about that maybe uh, because of the research bit. So now... There is, a, uh, I think, a deliberate push towards building R&D in India. And we know this is one of the weak points of the Indian economy. If you just look at the number of patents per capita, if you look at the number of um, number of journals, number of uh, peer published, uh, you know, journal papers, uh, if you look at number of, um, you know, latest cutting edge technology that's coming out of India, on all of these factors, I think we are, you know, we are very, very... Um, behind, we are lagging behind uh, than most of our peers, right? Um, and so therefore, I think this was needed, This that there's a push that was needed. Now, a lot of information has not come through, but at least to begin with, they're saying that we will uh, uh, lay down a corpus of, I think, one lakh crores will be established. 
uh, with 50-year kind of interest-free loans. And this is meant for, uh, uh, quote-unquote, tech-savvy growth. Okay, we don't know what that means, but that's what they're saying. Um, and I think they're also looking at some of these things, deep tech for defense purpose, etc. I think those are all the correct buzzwords. Now, of course, as you will be the first one to point out, we have to actually see how this plays out, right? How much of it is actually uh, translates into policy out, uh, outputs and outcomes. But I think that was just an interesting thing. It at least indicates that the government is interested in this, uh, right? Yeah. So uh, since you are talking about uh, report card, I mean, yeah, this this shows that uh, yeah they are interested. Tells you about uh, the intentions of the government. But when we say report card, uh, the report card tells you about what we have done in the past, right? So, uh, so some of the numbers, uh, the, especially the revised estimates and actual expenditures, we can look at. Uh, to find out actually how the government has done. So I think when we use the term report card, we should also look at some of those <laughs> things. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, now one interesting uh, thing that I found uh, was related to Narega, right? So Narega spending has increased massively. So whatever was the budgetary allocation last time, uh, and there was a 43% increased in the revised estimates right so and uh, this year's budgetary allocation is also same as the revised estimate so 43 percent increase in narega now uh, on one side the government talks about oh we are creating jobs and all those things but uh, given that you have to spend so much amount of narega and narega is primarily demand driven it shows that the rural economy is not doing well uh, there is somewhere sluggish demand and it is not just the budget numbers right there are other reports which also point to the same thing so it is going to be a cause of concern and uh, i don't know and given that uh, bulk of the population stays in uh, rural areas narega is for rural areas uh, i don't i mean this is going to be a problem which needs to be addressed in future exactly i'm, I'm really glad that you bought bought that out because there was a lot of talk about how rural incomes have actually increased Right? I mean, a lot of talk has in by Nirmala herself. Uh, during the budget speech, she said, mentioned multiple times that rural incomes have increased because that's their focus area, etc. But um, as you say, the fact that Narega demand has gone up is never good news for the economy. It just means, as you said, because it's demand driven, if more people, I mean, for most people, right, think about this. If most people are... Um, applying and getting the least common kind of um, jobs or uh, the lowest paying jobs, right? Because Narega only gives you 100 yeah. days of guaranteed employment. So if, exactly. if people are applying for that and going for that, it means that they're not finding jobs elsewhere. So at exactly. least on that front, on creation of jobs, you've not done well. And, and it definitely doesn't mean that rural incomes have, have, are increasing in that sense. So that is one factor. The other bit, and I'm going to use the same logic that you use, Sartak, which is that, you know, there's again a lot of talk about how crop yields are increasing and farmers are doing well. But at the same time, they're also increasing MSP. Exactly. Right, which tells yeah. me again, MSP is is a government guarantee for farmers who can't sell at a higher price. So if you need to do MSP, it means that it, your farm and your entire agricultural sector is not doing that well. Exactly. Right? So yeah, um, that, that is the I mean that is a real concern, no? Absolutely, and 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 so for me, see, even in the farm sector, I think there was one or two kind of 
interesting factors. One, I think they're saying greater crop insurance and I'm all for crop insurance. I think that's a far better market mechanism than just giving out. But at the same time, they also said that they're giving direct financial assistance to 11.8 crore farmers. Yeah, right? exactly. that PM uh, Kisan, right? The allocation is quite high and uh, it exactly. remains high. Exactly. So that again tells me that if you need to keep giving out and it, it part of it is urea subsidy, part of it is something else, part of it is direct benefit transfer, a whole bunch of other things. But it just means that if the government has to allocate such large funds for um, farmers, then for farmers welfare, then it means that the farmers are not doing well. Right. And uh, the disappointing thing for me in this budget was that it, there was no talk of the agricultural reforms. So this very government bought about some set of agricultural reforms uh, or tried to in the farm laws that failed of course they they they, they completely you know uh, bungled up the implementation part or even just the the building political consensus that's a talk for an entirely different day but those farm laws were good but uh, there's no talk about that so we are, we've moved very far away from doing those absolutely required structural reforms in agriculture yeah in fact these numbers also reflect the fact that people who are in agriculture, they are possibly not able to transition out of agriculture. They're not able to possibly move to urban areas. They're not move, able to move out of agriculture. Correct. So which is again and, and a that, cause of concern. Correct. And, and part of that is interesting because the, the, there was also mention in the budget about post-harvest incomes, right? And post-harvest income, they, you know, uh, Again, the finance minister was talking about food processing, about dairy farms and all of those things. But here's the crucial thing. You can't really build a sustainable, robust uh, post-harvest economy unless you do land reforms. Because part of that agricultural land, which is no longer fertile, has to be sold to, let's say, a food processing unit, which can come there, which can take up that thing and, and sell. And, you know, for that, for example, you also need FDI in single brand retail, which means you'll build complex supply chains, a whole bunch of, again, structural reforms that's required in agriculture, which is not coming through. So um, everything else is just, you know, very superficial. Yeah. And apart from that, there are few uh buzzwords that were used uh, oh. in the last uh, few years right few years budget and uh, ministers and uh, yeah a lot of people in the government used to use these terms right urban governments urban transformation smart cities yeah. uh, so <laughs> interestingly the allocation to smart cities and urban governance right it has gone down uh, and it has this has been a massive decline like 16000 crores to 10000 crores right Ooh. so yeah uh, so i don't know what is happening here? How do we explain this? But yeah, this is what is the case. I, I uh, think smart cities went out of favor from the political kind of discourse very early on, 2017-18 itself. I think nobody started talking about smart cities. It was only in the initial first two, three years. And then there was just a complete drop. Even for example, this budget or entire thing, I, I don't know about the allocation, you'd probably be better. But there was no mention of Swachh Bharat. Huh. So that's again taken a backseat, right? Uh, very clearly. So smart city, Swachh Bharat, all of these big initiatives that was there has taken a backseat. Now, again, luckily, or uh, the thing again, there was not uh, the make in India and the kind of inward looking push that also I think took a backseat. Maybe I hope so because. Uh, but, uh, but Anupam, there were a lot of mention of PLI. I mean, the PLI is there uh, at multiple right. places. So, right. but okay. they, they didn't increase. There, there's no at least deliberate increase in custom duties on imports. Hmm. So that's the only positive I'm going to take away from all of this. 
yeah right? maybe uh, <laughs> yeah and in recent times there has also been reduction in custom duty in some i think electronic components so yeah yes yeah. uh, my big gripe my big gripe uh, and i i there's no way I, i cannot mention this which is that um there was talk about you know uh, women women empowerment nari shakti and all of those things but and uh, the finance minister also said that women labor force participation rate is increasing but i think we have to put this in perspective it is still one of the lowest in the world um it has it, the good news is it has actually uh, taken a slight uptick in the last few years uh, and that's only because in the pandemic it reached an all time global low of 8% 8% of women was in the labor force right that is lesser than what was in syria conflict in uh, so, place yeah yeah uh, you know so in that sense of course you're going to see an uptick but it's not enough i mean i i think all of these claims i i'm just not sold by this idea at all you know you can talk about nari shakti all you want but it still remains that women labor force participation rate in india is woefully low is abysmally low and it's abhorrent to think of how low it is okay so i i just have to put that on on record um that i'm i'm not convinced by this at all okay i'm going to move on and i think maybe we're going to speak about the last big thing which is um oh maybe one small thing before the big thing which is on the the other interesting part was on they were talking about railway modernization and um i was just interesting uh, interested to see that they spoke about railway corridors uh, that about 40000 bogies would get an upgradation to at least one day bharat levels um that they would have dedicated kind of freight corridors uh, high traffic density corridors there i think there was a corridor for cement steel and a, I, i know a few other things um they said increase port connectivity i think in general all of these things are good um we need to be increasing the average kind of um speed of our freight uh, railway network um because right now by the way our okay so in any advanced economy or even moderately advanced economy um most of the cargo transportation is done through the railway network whereas in india i think you know it it was about 60% in this in the 1970s and 80s and it's now decreased to about 20% right so it's actually going down and that's because of the horrible condition of our indian railways the average speed of a freight train is less than 25 kilometers right and it's a logistical nightmare if you want to like load unload cargo it it doesn't it's it's just not working right so i think some genuine um, reforms there would be uh, would be good but i have to mention that the only way out is to start privatizing um introduce private players into at least you begin with the freight corridor right introduce private players in the freight corridor you don't indian railways the government entity doesn't have to own all of these things um start running you know big private networks um, i mean ra- railways on the existing kind of lines and i think that some of it will be say um the other bit of course nirmala sitaraman did mention that they were going to in uh, you know <laughs> upgrade tourist centers including lakshadweep uh, just so you know because it had to be <laughs> okay uh, final bit sarthak and this is where you come in fiscal deficit fiscal deficit is yeah. was at 5.8% of gdp yeah um, it was 5.8 in fact uh, the aim was 5.9% uh, but they have but the but it is 5.8% the eventual the final numbers so they have done better than what they expected uh, and the target is 5.1% so it shows that the government is moving in the direction of fiscal consolidation 2019 around that point of time it used to be uh, in the range of 3.4% or so right uh, but during the pandemic yeah obviously the government had to spend more and uh, 
and it peaked to more than 6%. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we are moving in the direction of fiscal consolidation. So that's a good news. Yeah, but I, yeah, generally that's good news. Um, but I have one, again, problem here, which is that we're now talking about uh, the path to fiscal consolidation finally reaches that we'll get it below 4.5%. So, Pratik, yeah. my question to you, is 4.5% the new three? So, no, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know what is going around in these circles, but yeah, I mean, we should not be uh, aiming to be at 4.5%. We should be moving in the direction of, I mean, we should uh, further reduce the fiscal deficit. Right. So uh, in many of the conversations, whether it is the economic survey, the chief economic advisor, you're looking at this thing, the big target seems to be somehow will reach to 4.5%. But remember that the FRBM rules and the target is actually 3%. 3%. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Because even at 4.5%, I'm afraid that you're just going to keep crowding out private investments. Private investments, yeah. Uh, There's just no space for borrowing for private players. And then, you know, and this kind of ties in with the idea that you know we're talking about capex and why that's good but we have to mention here that private capex is at is at very low levels right and that's because of course private players cannot in you know invest in uh, capital expenditure because they're not having the borrowing fiscal space right fiscal space for borrowing so um, there are very real consequences of having high fiscal deficit and i'm afraid i mean i Maybe part of me is happy that it's not increasing, but I'm afraid this is not enough. I think we have to, I'm a fiscal hawk. I think we have to aggressively lower the fiscal deficit to far below 4.5% and and the sooner the better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, yeah, at least they're moving in that direction. I don't know when they are going to achieve uh, three sub uh, 4.5% levels. Right. Okay. So with that, I think we can um, close this episode uh, and uh, close this, bring this conversation to a close. This is fascinating. Thank you, Sartak, for all the insights uh, on the budget. We, um, we, yeah, there are quite a few things to talk about, even in the interim budget. So I'm, uh, I don't know if we can expect a longer episode when the actual budget comes yeah, out in July, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, until then, thank you everybody for listening in and uh, cheers. Yeah, thanks Anupam. Thanks to the audience. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, Check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in.